0: Welcome to another episode of the Unapologist Podcast, where the best PD happens in your backyard. Tonight, we have the Hulk Hogan of teaching, Christopher Pulson.
1: <laughs> well, the Hulk Hogan of teaching. Well, of course, then you are macho man, Randy Savage
0: of education. <laughs> oh, losing. yeah. Always losing. I love it. Vito <laughs> <laughs> McKenzie on this Chris. Vito, My man, how are how you doing? doing?
1: How, how am I doing? Let me oh, I'm doing great, Vito. Um, you know, got another episode tonight that we're going to record. Uh, you know, teaching's been going pretty smoothly. Um, coming into Halloween at time of recording, so that's always interesting in a school. Uh, you know, so we have lots of festivities happening this week and many kids complaining to me about their inability to wear full masks with their costume uh, of to which I say I don't care <laughs> so uh you know it, it it's 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 a great week how are you doing Vito
0: you, you, you know it, it's one of those weeks where I just hit such a creative rut that I'm sitting here looking at what I'm gonna do for the next day and I'll literally just stare at the wall for 10 minutes and going nope Got nothing. And got nothing. Got nothing. So I'm 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 going back to my well of what re energizes my creativity. We've had a few guests in the show who talk about that. So I'm I'm going back and trying to find that spark again because right now my students i think are getting tired of me just sitting there and on my soapbox talking about how much the 80s sucked and you know <laughs> what was so great about the 90s anyway i mean they find it interesting but you know i think they're catching on to the fact that i don't know what i'm doing this week so
1: well um. hey hey that's well Vito i got some great news for you
0: what do you got we got someone on the show tonight who's got something I know, I know, because goodness knows that we should stop talking right now. No one wants to hear from us. No one, no one, no one tunes into here. Nobody. (laughs) But but you know what, Chris? I'm so glad I have this guest on tonight. I I am thrilled because if I knew what I was doing in teaching and I can actually properly plan, this is the person I would be. This is the teacher I would actually be. So like this is like a, a proper like the good version of Vito McKenzie, but like infinitely better. And so we have someone on the show tonight uh, who's been teaching for 15 years, and she started out as a religion teacher then taught in the math department and then switched over to computer studies so i'm like oh my goodness same background as myself so uh, i'm just so in love um she does a touch of religion here and there her background is actually inside and with that, she had a university co-op experience, gave her some world experience that like she likes to share with her students. She actually loves using programming as a way to be creative and solve problems. And she is a master of the spreadsheet. She is generous with her talents. She is super creative. She makes amazing resources for not only particular lessons and assignments, but entire courses. And uh, just an all-around wonderful human being someone we could look up to. Tonight in the show, we have Karen Spindler. Karen, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Vito. Your words are so kind. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, well, it's, it's your actions and who you are that are amazing. I'm just speaking to what I see. So thank you for being here.
2: Happy to be here.
0: So let's, uh, let, let's get things going. Tell us the story of how you got into teaching and what led you on the path to where you are today.
2: Um, it's sort of a funny story because it certainly wasn't a direct path, even though when I was young in in elementary school, I looked up to my teachers, I idolized them, and I wanted to be a teacher. And I think a lot of young kids can identify with that that process, but as I went through high school, I actually... I had to do this aptitude test in grade nine. I was, I guess, very vogue in the 90s to do these tests, and they would quiz me on like uh, certain abilities, my interests, my post-secondary goals. And I, you know, I did the test, and at the end I said, yeah, I wanna be a, a teacher, a veterinarian, and a hairstylist, because those careers seemed, they seemed fun. And both teacher and veterinarian came back in their analysis of the results. And they said, you have aptitude for it. You have similar post-secondary goals for it, but your interests don't match. And um, they actually said the the careers that would be a good fit would be scientist, engineer, or performing artist, which I find really (laughs) funny.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay,
2: um so you know you're you're young and things like that sort of have an impact on you, and so I didn't really consider teaching as a career because you know some random computer had chugged out this idea that no, 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 you're not going to like that very much but i I was really good in math and science, and near the end of my high school career, I started taking these um, computer coding courses, and I loved that. I discovered I could be creative. I had never thought of myself as creative. I would go to a visual art class and they would say, draw something, and I'd be like, what? What do you want me to draw? I I, I can try to draw that thing over there, but it's going to be bad. And I had somehow falsely equated, like, creativity with artistry and, and drawing and starting from a blank slate. But with coding, I discovered I could be creative in a totally different way. And in a a way that appealed to my sense of, you know, desire for logic and order and organization. So that always, that that worked really well for me. So I ended up pursuing software engineering. And about two years into my four and a half year degree, because it it was an extended degree because I did co-op, about two years in, I realized I'd made a terrible mistake. (laughs) And... Despite loving the process of learning about software engineering, I wasn't actually in love with software engineering as a discipline. I was really just in love with the process of learning. And whatever it was that I had applied myself to um, is something I would have enjoyed. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Mm -hmm. Um, So I stuck it out. I sort of said to myself, well, I'm two years in. I can do it. It's not that I can't do the, the, uh, the coursework. I just realized that I loved all my math courses, my computer science courses. If I could like reverse time and go back, I probably would have done a degree in like computer science and math, like maybe a double degree in both, because I just, I love that pathway. But I stuck it out with the engineering. And around the time that I was wrapping up my engineering degree, I started getting really involved in a youth group. Um, and there was the, the, the youth group leader at the time, he was really mentoring me and what it meant to learn about my faith and to make, um, make Christ a central figure in my life. And I was turning around and sharing that with the, the high school kids coming to youth group. And there was this one weekend, it was, we were on a weekend retreat and I was chatting with this friend and he said to me, you know, I don't mean any disrespect, but I feel like you're really wasting your talents pursuing this career path that you're, that you're currently on. He said, I I think you're really meant for so much more. And it was like that moment I finally had permission to say yeah, I want to go and have an impact on young people's lives and I want to go back and rediscover that teaching path that I had, you know, thought to myself so many years ago that was, you know, was what I wanted to do. So I finished my degree and I remember um, as I crossed the stage, I had won a bunch of, like, academic-based awards. So um, I forget exactly what they all were, but there was like a, the, the equivalent of honor roll when you're in university. There was one other one, and then there was also the top mark for my particular um, um, department in engineering. So, I literally had to wait on the side of the stage for them to get through the list before I was allowed to cross. And as I crossed and I went over to greet the dean and she shook my hand and she said, wow, that's quite a list of accomplishments. What are you going to do? And I just looked at her with this big smile and said, I'm going to go get a bachelor's of education. And the look that she had on her face was like, pardon? Like she didn't hear me right. But I just smiled and walked away because I was so confident in my choice that this was the career path that I was meant for. And I really do believe it is God's plan for me because I I applied to the program, I got accepted right away into my the teachables that I wanted. I I did my one year, it was a one year program at that point. And then, you know, straight out of graduating I got right into a permanent full time job, which is pretty rare. But I think Especially that at that time. Yeah. Um, but I really do believe that, you know, this was God's plan, and this was God's, you know, um, it was God's blessings that I had on those moments in my life, and I've actually been working um, at the same school for 15 years. It's the same school that hired me, fresh little young graduate right out of teacher's ed, so.
1: That's a big vibe for me about living vocation, big vibe right there, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then you, you said something too in your story that just like, the best of the best of the best that we have coming on our show all the time these these educators who Vito and I just look up to so much, every one of them says, like, I had a mentor and it just speaks to the importance of having mentors and, and, and now at, at, at this point, being mentors, so um, I'm just really humbled by your story and I just got a big vibe right from the get-go on that living the vocation component big vibe and,
0: and the and the confidence to, to follow it too because yeah
2: yeah, you know. and it's, it's funny, because I did have, there were a few skeptics in my life who said, like, why would you take something like software engineering, like, think of all the money you could make, and why would you go and pursue this field? But I, I always tell them, like, it's not about the money, it's about the passion and the love. And, yes, I, I really love programming it's it's it is a passion of mine, but I love the process of learning and teaching and guiding someone through and developing their understanding so much more than just you know having lots of money at the end of the day
0: huge, huge a- and you know I, I smile at your story because you were on a path and then you felt no this this is actually where I should be, and you just followed it, and uh you know i I think a contrast to my own life. I felt that calling early and I said, nope. And I went to software engineering. <laughs> <laughs> I, I ran from it. I literally ran from it for years. So uh, I, I I, like, I mean, I'm like Chris said, big vibes. I think that's, that's amazing that you had the confidence to say, I am graduating the top and all these awards and no, I, I really feel like this is where I need to be and, 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 and doing it for the love of it. So that's, that's wonderful. Um, And what a great just teacher thing. What a, Like, think about
1: that for a second. Right, right now, in, in where we are in history, in this epic, in this time, in this moment, um, I think if you're in a classroom right now, anybody, no matter how you're feeling, if, if you're still in a classroom, you know, into a pandemic and all the stuff that's now, like, you're teaching for the love of it, even if sometimes you don't feel like it is. I think that's just a massive vibe for me right there, too. Um, you know, no matter how someone's feeling or if they're like, you know, the, the grumpy person in the parking lot or whatever, like if you're in it, you're in it because you love it and, and you can't, you, as much as you might want to hide it, you can't because ain't no way you're sticking with it. If you don't love it.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: That was some good uh, English for our LA teachers out there.
0: Oh, they're going <laughs> to love that. Ain't no way. Ain't no, ain't way. no way. So uh, y- your penchant for organization would put Chris here to shame, and I've seen his long-term planning, and it uh, <laughs> and like it boggles me. So, take us through how you plan a course. Uh, first of all, let's start with the course. How do, how do you like? How do you plan a course?
2: Well, I think as most teachers will find the first time through a course, I'm just trying to survive to the next day, and so I'm very grateful to all the teachers that have shared you know, their resources with me. The school that I'm at has been amazing with teachers saying, here, I've taught this course. Here's, you know, everything that I've done. And there is such a spirit of generosity amongst our staff. And so I always think about, you know, designing a course. It's it's not a one-time thing. It's an iterative process, right? You have to go back and refine. And so, yeah, the first time through, I'm just trying to get through day by day um, with whatever I've been given. And I might, you know, tweak a thing here or there, like as I'm looking at, say it's a math class, and I'm, I'm looking at maybe some of the examples. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'll tweak that example because I know they're going to need this skill later. So the first time through, it's always just, you know, survival mode plus small tweaks when I can. Um, and then as I am, um, when I'm fortunate enough to teach the same course again, that's really when some real planning can happen. And I always say that my best planning always happens in January and June. So when everyone is, is wrapping up their final projects and getting the report cards done, I'm doing unit plans for the next time I teach the course. Maybe it's avoidance of marking the final projects. That, that's a definite possibility. But I find that when I'm in those moments of marking and I'm seeing, you know, oh, they they really struggle with this. Oh, let me go back and revisit that. How can I better scaffold? Is there a skill that they're missing that I can, you know, maybe fill in? Um, And if I'm not actually planning it, then I'm at least making massive to-do lists of things that I know need to get fixed for the next time around. And I'm pretty, um, I'm a pretty hard worker. And so I'll have, I've had colleagues come into my classroom like in June and you know, they're, they're packing up and and they're just, you know, chatting and and saying like, oh, it's so great that we're having the summer. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. I'm just gonna finish this one example question. And they're like, are you lesson planning? I'm like, yeah, I sure am. Like I have no marking to do. My class is clean. I'm gonna lesson plan right now. So that's one thing I do. (laughs) I I love, I, hey,
1: I, I love that. I love that. I I totally revamp every 1.5 years. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> that is, sometimes that means that's my Christmas break, but I get it a hundred percent. I love that. I love that.
2: And then when I when I have the fortune to go through a course a few more times, I start to see the the sort of arc of the course and the I like to think of like the journey that I'm taking the students on. And I really try to frame the course in that way. Like, you know, in the first few units or weeks, so I'm, I'm setting the stage and I'm ensuring that they have the, the the base knowledge that they need. And then we start to build skills as we get to the middle of the course. And then by the end, it's like, okay, let's take this and let's apply it to the world. So in my religion course, for example, and I think Vito, have you seen the newer version of the religion course? I, I have.
0: Did? I have.
2: Yeah. So I was, again, it was inspired to do that back in June of one year. And so um, I knew that there was a new curriculum out. We didn't have a textbook for it yet. And I looked at some teacher guides and I, I love having sort of between four and six units of study. And I am old school, like I will do, like we're gonna do a unit, we're gonna have a theme and then we're gonna move on to the next sort of unit. But there always is gonna be like a narrative thread through it. Um, And I always aim for like four to six. That's the most I ever think it's reasonable to get through. And so I would... I started off with uh, let's lay the foundation. Let's look at the, the the Old Testament. Let's make sure we understand, like you know, uh, who God is, and you know, address the questions of like is is there a God? Are there are there ways to think about the actual existence of a God? And then in unit two, then we move on to okay, well, how has God revealed Himself? And we move on to the New Testament and the person of Jesus and how God has revealed Himself through the person of Jesus we <laughs> And then in the third unit, it's like, okay, so how do we, what's our skills? So we, we start talking about having a prayer life and, and making decisions. And then finally we turn outwards and we say, okay, well, now that we have this basis, how can we look at our culture and look at our world and bring our knowledge and our light to that world? So there's like a narrative arc and journey through the course. And I always tell kids like, you're on a journey when you're with me. And that I think helps to anchor whatever it is that I'm
0: doing. Now, I know that works wonderfully for religion. I know Chris and I both take a very narrative approach to that class. Uh, What about your other courses there, for instance, programming and, and math? Do you still have that narrative arc? I
2: do, and so I'll I'll use programming as an example. It has been a few years since I've taught a math course. It's um I've been mostly focusing on religion and um and the computer studies, but there's still a narrative arc. It, it's not as spiritual, but it's there. So the grade eleven course is an example. So we start with the foundational knowledge. What what is a computer? What's hardware? What's software? What do we need to understand about this machine that we're going to learn how to manipulate? And then we, we move on from there and we, we start doing some coding skills. And I try to take a, a spiral approach. They're not just going to show me these skills once. They're going to show it to me again. So we learn about you know, how to think about things sequentially and logically in order and how computers make decisions and, and do things in a repetitive fashion. And so I'll spend two units on just programming and getting sort of more and more in depth each time. And then I'll end the course with, okay, now let's look at the software design process, because now you've got these little bits, but how do they fit together in this, in this large arc? And then their final project is, okay, make me a program, whatever you want, you are now the author of your course. So how are you going to show me what it is you've learned? So that narrative arc still happens. It's a different format, but it's there.
1: I love that. The fact that no matter what you're teaching, at the end of it, you can you can look back and read the story of the whole course. It Absolutely. wasn't just stuff that happens. It was a story that made sense, that built to something that, that had, had, and I'm sure, like any course, you know, there were probably some bumps along the way. Uh, but eventually you made it to your ultimate moment and then you were able to to wrap it up. And I, I love that way of thinking about being a teacher, thinking about leading a class, thinking about the students, the journey they're on, the story they're on. Because it doesn't – you're you're right. It doesn't matter if it's religion or L.A. or social studies or computers or math. The, it is a journey. It, and, and that's something that transcends the concept of education too because – When I think about that, that's that's a life lived. And part of that story is these little side quests we go on called our classes or our schooling. And so I really, really, I really like that because I think it teaches young people to be as well as to do.
2: Absolutely. Huge,
0: huge. So you are a master of spreadsheets as far as I know. And you're always like, hey, look, I came up with this, you know, great spreadsheet for you guys. I already pre-programmed the pivot table, so you just got to plug it in here and we're good to go. Um, first of all, like, tell me where that comes from. And then, like, h- how do you use that to help you in this endeavor and planning?
2: Well, it's funny because I never took any courses on using a spreadsheet at all. So it's completely self-taught plus Google. Um, but so much of the power of a spreadsheet comes from the fact that you can code within the spreadsheet. And most people, I think, have maybe done a, a really simple formula where they highlighted a few cells and said, you know, add this cell plus that cell plus this cell. And that's, and that's awesome. And that's a good place to start. But they are incredibly powerful tools for being able to visualize and manipulate your data. Um so I think the recent spreadsheet that I shared, was a, it was a scheduling one. Mm-hmm. Is that right, the one that you're thinking yes. of, Vita? Yes,
0: yes, that's the one I'm thinking of.
2: Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't even come up with that original one myself. It was given to me by a, a teacher who has since retired, who got it from a prof at, I think it was uh, one of the local colleges, And she said, Hey, he's got this schedule. It looks kind of cool. Can you do anything with this? And I said, sure. So it's, that's where it first started. And it's, it's sort of changed and adapted over time. And, and it's gone through that same stepwise refinement that I apply to my courses. Um, And that's, it's, that's how I schedule all my courses. So the way it works is you've got one part where you just write down, here's all the topics that I need to get through. And you just put them in order and you tell, you say day one, I'm going to do this and day two, I'm going to do that. Um, And that's your data, right? That's your information that you need to portray and organize. And then in a whole separate area of the spreadsheet, there's the part that pulls that data and puts it into the calendar. So you've got your your formatting, the part that makes it look pretty, but you don't write directly in the pretty part. You keep them separate because that's that's a design principle, right? You separate your information from your visualization, and then you can manipulate one and manipulate the other, and you don't have to worry about um, you know conflicts arising as you're changing them. So I can, you know, we just found out, oh, they're going to have to be pulled from this one day to, um, you know, write, um, you know, do this, this province-wide test. Okay. So I can just add a day into my list and everything just sort of, um, everything just uh, sort of flows down to the correct spots. And it's all just formulas and coding happening under the surface. I, I look up a lot of things. I, I look, how do you do this? And I, I read Stack Overflow, which is, uh, if you've never heard of it, it's a, a forum for programmers where programmers can pose questions and other programmers will help them answer the questions. And I just try stuff and see if it works. And then when it works, I share it because that's the, the culture that, uh, that we have at my school
1: oh my goodness, that's a huge vibe for me. I I was vibing that whole time. But at the end when you say, I just try stuff and see if it works. Yes, right? Right. Like, is that not like, is that not like you're never going to do something awesome if you don't try something awesome. And like for everything that's awesome that you try and is an epic failure, you're going to have one thing that is just so amazing that you can keep forever. The thing, the thread I really pulled out of this too, which I really like was... You put the data in, and it makes it pretty for you. But yes. that speaks—that speaks volumes about the planning process, because you have to have the data to put in, so it can yes. become pretty. And I think that speaks to you know going back to how you visualize a course. You know, yes. you talk about this narrative, going back to this concept of uh, cultivating spirits of gen- uh, generosity, and even um, going back to this idea of. Um, Building the course, yeah. um, it, it all is the same thread that leads to we can have the pretty data because we've put in the work and the planning to make it so we can make our lives easier in the long run. I, I love that because that's a story unto itself. You know, that's a story unto the teacher who on a Friday isn't like, thank God it's Friday. But like, yeah, the plans I had really worked out or I had really awesome plans. This, this, this didn't work, but I know those are the things I have to change. And now I've changed them. Uh, And I think that speaks to some really good teaching practices. Thank you so much for sharing that huge vibe. You got to try stuff.
2: Just try (laughs) it. I... That's actually one of the things that I love so much about the, about programming is I tell kids, you're not going to break your computer. Just try some code, click run, see what happens. Um, I have this one student right now who has such a spirit of curiosity, and he'll say to me some days, Miss, how are we going to break Java today? Because he just (laughs) tries, he wanted to find like the limits of, well, how many times can I cause a stack overflow error before it actually generates an error? I said, well, let's figure out how to do that. And I just let him go off on a tangent because he's not afraid to just try things.
0: And I love that you're encouraging him to go, like, go break it. Yeah, break it. Like, I don't want the set-defined thing that produces a predictable outcome. Go break stuff, and you yeah. never know.
2: Because when you, because when you break it, then inevitably you learn how to fix it later, right? You can, you can learn to understand your boundaries within what you can and can't do in a program.
0: Hmm. All right, and you can push those boundaries of what you know too. Exactly. Um, just so, just. You know, I'm putting on the spot here. Would we uh, be able to post that spreadsheet on our site for our listeners?
2: Sure, if other teachers want to use it. I, I will say, so it does take a bit of work at the at the outset of a year, because the one thing that I can't predict and hard code is where the PD days are going to fall, where the holidays are going to fall. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to share it with whoever thinks they they may want to use it for planning
0: well we really we really appreciate the fact that you'd be willing to share that and the fact that you've modified it for whatever schedule may come um, and uh, so I know uh, listeners check out our website on apologists for we'll post it up there so th- thank you now um walk us through then now you've, you we've done a course you're you're planning your data you're you're reflecting and you're um really giving it all for the next semester, next year. But take us through your thought process for creating a lesson. Like where do your ideas come from and what kind of approach do you take in your lesson planning?
2: Well, I think like many good teachers, a lot of my ideas come from other teachers who have shared things with me, but I always try to relate whatever I'm teaching to a story in my life. Um, It works really well in religion I, I'll, I'll pick a concept, I'll be like, let me tell you about a time where I had to grapple with this and whether I came out like looking great or looking not so great at the end of that story, um, I share it and I have a rich, um, you know, stories from my family and my family's history, stories involving, you know, my mother and, and my grandfather and, and I find opportunities to weave these stories in. And... When I can't find stories, then I, I look to, you know, what what is in like what, what shows are the kids watching? Are there are there stories happening there that I can also weave into the course? And and this part is challenging because I don't have a lot of time for a lot of media right now. Um, so a lot of my choices tend to be shows that are a little bit dated and so they can work at times and other times they, they need to be revamped. And so there's a constant challenge of, you know, is this still the best way or the still the best um, story to use for this particular concept? Um, So that works well in religion, but even in computers, again, I am so grateful to have had some work experience through co-op. I, I always tell my students, if there is a co-op option in university, take it, get that experience. Um, for me, it helped me actually, you know, solidify that this actually isn't what I want to do. Not that they were bad experiences, but they, they helped me learn what it was that I wanted, but they gave me, um, so many stories to be able to share with students about, well, this one time when I was working at this company, somebody tried this and that's how it went. So teaching through story. Um, The other principle that I always think of with lessons is where's the opportunity for feedback? And this can be really labor intensive on the part of the teacher. So I find ways to streamline, but I I use the this feedback cycle where you, you do some work, you submit it to me. I'm not going to grade you on it. I'm not going to tell you if it was a level three or a level four. I'm just going to give you some some comments. And depending on where the student is, I might say, okay, you've, you've accomplished the task. That's good. You're ready to move on. Some students I may say, well, you've done it, but did you think about this? and I'll give them a challenge? And then they'll have a chance to to resubmit and to you know retry. and that that feedback is so vital to that learning process. So I try to find ways to make sure that that's integrated into the lesson as much as possible.
1: I, I really like that in terms of um, you know, creating those informal feedback loops. Because then for students, the, that level of stress isn't there, that they know there's not going to be a number associated with their name at the end of every single thing that they do. And then, you know, again, I tie this back to the teaching experience too. Like, where are your feedback loops as a teacher? You know, as um, – and again, maybe I'm putting you on the spot here, but like I, I really agree with your process that feedback loops are, are so essential. And I know in my professional practice – I love being like, hey, I'm trying this really cool thing. Can you come in and check it? Do you have a do you also seek feedback loops for yourself and for your practice?
2: Absolutely. I've I always do a survey at the end of the course, although this year I'm actually doing weekly check-ins, so it's a, a little survey they get. They get it every Friday. There's a mental health check-in. They're sort of like a, a question of the week, depending on where we are in the course. You know, it could be something like, what's the most significant thing you've learned so far? When it was close to midterm, I had them try to guess what their midterm mark was, just to see if they can self-assess um, where they were, Although. The joke was on me, the uh, the emails had already gone out by the time they saw my survey, but I did try. Um, and then there's always a part where I say, like, what could I be doing better? Is there anything you want to see changed? How is the pacing? How is your workload? Um, because we're looking at such a condensed timeline, I want to make sure that they've been given the opportunity to to tell me like, miss, I'm drowning or no miss. It's all good. Like, just, just keep doing what you're doing. Um, so yeah, I do seek that absolutely from my students. Um,
1: I I love it. I love it. Um, and, and you know what too? like you said something that really like how nice it must be for your students to be able to say kind of like before it's too late, I'm drowning. Because how often – I've always said like no one's ever had a bad day. No one's ever had one bad day. You realize you're having a bad day when you're in the middle of the storm and it's actually been probably a, a, a bad month, a terrible week, and it's a horrendous day. And that's when you realize there's a problem. But being able to do those check-ins before there's any of that allows the student to be like, you know what? Yeah, there's there's some serious needs here. Let's, let's nip this before – we uh, before it comes problematic,
2: exactly.
0: And not only that, but it, it lets them feel they have agency in their learning. Absolutely. To say, you know what, you know what, this is, uh, this is what I need from you right now. I, I this is working, this is not working. Like it, it's tough if the first time you ever do this, you're like, oh, you got to get ready for that honesty from your students, mm-hmm. and you got to be willing to take it. But yeah. you really grow with it, so that that's that's amazing. Yeah, and uh,
2: I'm grateful when they feel you know, confident enough to actually give me that authentic feedback. And they're not just saying what they think I want to hear. Um, That's definitely appreciated.
1: Relationship building right there, right into the course, right into the curriculum. Boom. Love it.
2: (laughs) That's actually one of the great parts about the way that um, the computer studies courses work is I get that opportunity to build a relationship through years because some kids will start taking in the grade 10, you don't need the grade 10 for the grade 11, but many will do both. And then if they're in the grade 12, that means that I've had them in the grade 11 and possibly in the grade 10. And so I start to see that, you know, I see them mature, I see them grow, I see them learn, and we cultivate those relationships. So that's another great thing that I love about teaching computer studies.
0: Oh, amazing, so lucky to have you, so lucky to have you.
1: Big vibe, big vibe, big build, big vibe. build the relationships.
0: Right. Oh, absolutely. Now you you obviously have a lot of divergent thinking in your practice, uh, being a religion and computer science teacher, right? Those are very different disciplines that you seem to permeate through each other. So how how do those disciplines and practices permeate through your teaching practice uh, through your teaching, regardless of whatever class you're teaching?
2: When I saw this question, I had to look up what you meant by divergent thinking (laughs) because i don't think i'd heard that term before and so i googled it and i read it and i said oh that's the way my brain is (laughs) (laughs) and i said to my husband i'm like i finally have a term for the way that my brain operates that's just you know it's very much the way that I am, I always go in multi-directions and, you know, sometimes to my own detriment and it's it's a learning process to say, okay, one thing at a time. But I was never the person that was satisfied with, okay, I, I you know, I had a problem, let's say it was a, a math problem, I had a problem and I got the solution, cool, let's move on. I was always the kid that would say, okay, well, I got the solution that way. But what if I tried this? Could I get the same solution another way? And what if I try this other pathway? And I would never be satisfied with just one way to solve a problem when I could find like five ways to solve the same problem. I think that translates so well into my teaching practice because inevitably, when students are presenting me with solutions or with logical arguments, they're going to be coming to those conclusions from a variety of pathways. And I can identify with those and I can say, oh, I see where you're going there. Yeah, I would have done that too. Did you notice that you, maybe you lost a bit of efficiency by choosing this way instead of that, but you still made it to the final destination. So good for you. And it helps in religion too, because you know, if they're thinking of a question and they're 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 asking and they're wanting to dig deeper on something, I've probably already had that same thought process and I followed it through to its logical end. So I'm happy to engage with them about that. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question, but yes, I I do use divergent thinking a lot, and I think it makes me a better teacher and. I'm glad I finally have a term for it. <laughs> yeah, no, hey,
1: that's awesome. Uh, and, and, and you know, to me, it speaks to the idea of, like, being prepared. Every one of your students is going to do the assignment the way they're going to do the assignment. And not having this kind of one right answer in your mind. Um, yeah. And being prepared for that. And even being prepared for the one you didn't think of. See, that's oh, yeah. right, right. That's the big <laughs> one to me. I love
0: that. I,
2: but I love those moments. I'm like, oh, somebody came up with something that I didn't. Like hats off to you if you can do that. Well, um, I, right,
0: Karen, have you never been a dungeon master for Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, I, I was actually talking with a student about that today. No, I've never done that at all. So,
0: Because in that role, similar to teaching, you can think of 15 solutions to a problem you've created and yeah. the people you're playing with will think of 20. And you got to have to <laughs> yeah. work with that. And you got to figure out, okay, uh, how do I work with this? Yeah. So I, that's exactly what you're doing in your classes. It sounds like
1: a big vibes over. There's so many vibes today. Vito, the vibes.
0: The vibes. I've already heard.
1: run out of pulsing points. There's, I'm just on vibes now. <laughs> <laughs> I've used them all up. Oh dear. My my goodness. You know, it, it makes me just so happy to hear that. And and it's refreshing because I have to take a leap of faith here and say this to you. Like, I'm guessing by putting yourself as a teacher kind of in that vulnerable state of like, I might be getting responses, even though there's the way I know is the most efficient and there's the way that I know is the way that we do things, I'm going to be okay with knowing that it's not gonna come that way every time. I'm gonna be okay with knowing that, you know, I'm gonna be having one-on-one conversations. I'm gonna be having group conversations and I'm going to be learning as I teach from my students. Cause I, you know, when you you open the box like that, it's like, that's where you meet your geniuses, I think. You know, the people who are like, actually I invented this new thing and that's how I do it. And you're just (laughs) like, what? I love it. I love it.
0: Yeah. At the end of the day, in your opinion, what do you think educators should be unapologetic about in their practice?
2: I think educators should be unapologetic about simply being in love with the process of learning, um, not being afraid to try things, to fail spectacularly at things um, and to be that model to their students,
0: very succinct and just right to the point. Like, just fall in love with the process. The process, not the it's, product. Yeah,
1: that's what it's about. Vito, Chris, Vito. Uh, tonight, I'm telling time. Uh, I'm telling time on a digital watch. I'm not using the sundial tonight.
0: You're not using uh, the sundial. I've digital... come into
1: the come into the digital age. But you know what the digital age is telling me?
0: The What's digital the 70's age, telling you?
1: It, it is telling me. That it's time for the and Polson points. And points. The Polson points. My goodness, we were on a big vibe extravaganza tonight with Karen Spandler. Oh my goodness, my friends. Polson point the first, and and this one I love it. Cultivate a spirit of generosity in your schools because, and this is the big one, you never know who's getting through day by day because it's not always your early career teachers. Sometimes it's your veterans who are normally like right on point, but they have a new course or something. So cultivate a spirit of generosity. My friends, what is that journey that we're taking our students through? Think about that when you're planning. Think about it narratively. What is the journey that they are going on? Hey, friends, listeners, you need to try stuff if you're going to do awesome stuff. You know, you need to try and you need to, oh, I'm going to say it. You need to maybe even fail a couple times, but you have to try so you can get to the awesome. I love that. Try so you can get to the awesome. Let's put that on a mug. A lot of teachers, Pulse in point number four, a lot of teachers have a lot of great ideas, a lot of great resources, a lot of great stories, a lot of great knowledge. Hey, be like Vito and I. Take them all, you know, <laughs> because that's what they're there for. That's what they're there for. And the fifth Pulse and Point of the night, hey, ask where the opportunity for feedback is for ourselves, for our students, for everyone, because we're going to grow. But, oh, listeners, you know, this was... I ran out of Pulse and Points early. We are on to the big vibes. Big vibe. Mentors are essential. Who is your mentor? Are you a mentor? Let's get mentors going, because they change lives. Hey, Karen, I can't, this one hit me right in the heart because teachers, remember that we're living our vocation and that is what this teaching about. It is not a job, it is a vocation. We are here for a reason, love it. And I know you do, I know you do. Hey, you know, I gotta say, this was a big vibe for me tonight and I've never done this before, but like, big vibe? And spreadsheet that's gonna be on our website. (laughs) Like, honestly, like I'm hearing about this spreadsheet and I'm like, So I've been long-range planning using a calendar for how long? Oh, my goodness. I love it. Hey, experiences, my friend. They help us learn stories. Experience equals stories. Live your life. Build those relationships. And the last big vibe of the night, I'll call it the huge vibe. Remember, there's more than one way to solve a problem. And your students, guess what? They're going to bring every single one of those pathways to you. And don't forget to be unapologetic about simply being in love with the process of learning. Karen, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. It has been an absolute
0: pleasure to hear you talk.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, it was it was a joy. It really was. More ideas to be stolen for tonight. So thank you.
1: Oh, I'm taking a lot of those. I know I'm going to the website to get the spreadsheet.
0: (laughs) I'm posting it now. And thank you for joining us for another episode of the Unapologist Podcast. Join us next week when we'll talk with great people, learn new ideas, and tell the story of teaching as it happens. This is Vito and Chris signing off.
1: just podcast, podcast.